Greetings in the name of Christ and welcome to Concord Matters, a show that seeks unity in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ by His Word through the study of the clear and concise teachings based on that Word confessed in the Book of Concord. As Peter boldly confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, we boldly confess the truth of the entirety of God's inerrant Word, nothing more, nothing less all pointing to Christ and all for the sake of a clear conscience in Christ. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, District President of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you for joining us on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. We continued our study of justification, really the heart of the Reformation. For we say that if if we lose Article 4 of, eight of the Augsburg Confession, we lose everything. No order, tradition, perfect hymnody, or building will ever be able to give us anything if we are not able to say that people are freely justified for Christ's sake through faith when they believe that they are received into favor and that their sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. But this also brings up other questions. Some of the questions of, well, how do we obtain this faith? How does this faith exactly justify? And also many other objections from their adversaries. And the crazy thing is, these same questions and uh, objections are occurring today. So let's dig back in, open up your book of Concord, and more importantly, open up your Bible, and let's start confessing. If you have any questions concerning our study of the apology, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Joining us in the Confession of Christ, we welcome back Pastor Mark Bestel of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. Pastor Bestel, welcome back to Concord Thanks, Matters. Brady. It's great to be with you again. Pastor, we are looking at justification, and I want to just I want to dig into the note that we'll have for today because this will be everything that we look at is the basic questions of faith in Christ that justifies. So I invite you, our listeners, on page 90. Let's just get right into it. Uh, page 90 of the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, Concordia, the Lutheran Confessions, on page 90. And we'll read just the note and kind of uh, wet our pout a little bit here as we begin. So as it says in, above the note, faith in Christ justifies. Note, while the Roman Church does not bypass Christ or God's grace, it does base its doctrine of justification on our cooperation with God's grace rather than on Christ's work alone. Inclination toward goodness is increased by participation in the church's sacramental system, whereby we receive grace from the merits of Christ and the saints. Through our cooperation in this grace, we earn eternal life. This teaching is subtle and deceptively nuanced and must be exposed as false and potentially damning, according to Galatians 3. It diverts our eyes from Christ and his full, complete, and perfect satisfaction for sins through careful analysis of religious terms and their use. Melanchthon shows that the Roman Catholic teaching on justification is contrary to the Holy Scriptures. It, is conf it confuses grace and works that it obscures the merit and glory of Jesus Christ. Pastor, as we look at faith in Christ justifies, there's many, many, many questions that will arise today. So how do you want to start us off, especially as we generally look at justification, but also the focus that we'll have today? Perhaps the place to start is the question of, of what role does faith play in terms of, uh, is faith a question of what I am doing for God, 
or is faith a question of uh, the hope that I have in what God is doing for me? And so, so often, in, in fact, in this note, as you read it, you see very clearly that Rome's definition of faith is something that actively does something for God that cooperates with God and thereby earns God's favor, so that the person is constantly looking at uh, at his own faith and saying, well, God should be pleased with my faith. And so the, the subtitle here, Faith in Christ Justifies, reminds us faith always has an object. And so to constantly be looking at faith itself, it actually misleads the sinner and misleads the individual into hoping in himself and hoping in how, uh, uh, in how uh, glorious his faith looks and how faithful he appears and how well he cooperates, all of these things, rather than realizing that faith's object is in Christ's already completed work and in Christ's giving of the Holy Spirit in word and sacrament, uh, not so that you can do something with it and earn God's favor, but that you may freely receive what Christ has already accomplished for you. So that, that right in the middle of that note, through our cooperation with this grace, we earn eternal life. That's the, the view, of course, of, of what the editor is saying there, the, the note is saying regarding the Roman Catholic teaching. That's, I think, the big confusion for so many Christians, perhaps even, sadly, Lutherans in the pews, that we think, well, when I go to church on Sunday morning, I listen to the Word, I go up to receive communion, God is pleased with me because I do those things and show Him my faith, and therefore He forgives my sins. No, 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 no. Faith rejoices in the fact that God is preaching His law and gospel, forgiving sins in the declaration, forgiving sins in the body and blood of Christ. It's a gift freely given that faith can rejoice in, uh, rather than the sinner thinking God is pleased with me because I am showing that my faith is cooperating and participating in, for example, the divine service. I want to encourage you, our listeners, to listen to our two previous episodes of our study on justification. Last week was with Pastor Matthew Moss in Minnesota. He spoke almost identical to what Pastor just said today. And I don't think that they're talking every day, so they couldn't have uh, conspired to this, is that question of what is the object of our faith? And as we mentioned, uh, and also Pastor Greg Truey in Missouri the week prior, if we say something along the lines of, I have faith in my faith, well, that, <laughs> that naturally just leads you to what uh, depends on your day, right? And it naturally just looks at myself and my works. And at the end of the day, the object of your faith uh, just leads you to nowhere uh, because it's just about me, which is even worse because we always think about ourselves. So here it is that focus of the object is on Christ and him crucified. Pastor, I'm ready to start that digging in. Great. Are you ready? All right. We are on page 90 on the top, number 61. In the first place, lest anyone think we speak about an idle knowledge of history, we must state how faith is obtained. Afterward, we will show both that faith justifies and how this ought to be understood. We will also explain the objections of the adversaries. Christ, in the last chapter of Luke, commands that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name. The gospel convicts all people that they are under sin and they're subject to eternal wrath and death. It offers, for Christ's sake, forgiveness of sin and justification, which is received through faith. The preaching of repentance, which accuses us, terrifies consciences with true and grave terrors. In these matters, hearts ought to receive consolation again. 
This happens if they believe Christ's promise that he, for his sake we have forgiveness of sins. This faith, encouraging and consoling in these fears, receives forgiveness of sins, justifies and gives life. For this consolation is a new birth and spiritual life. These things are plain and clear and can be understood by the pious. They have testimonies of the church. The adversaries cannot say how the Holy Spirit is given. They imagine that the sacraments give the Holy Spirit by the outward act, ex opere operato, without a good emotion in one receiving them, as though indeed the gift of the Holy Spirit were a useless matter. Pastor, uh, Melanchthon starts breaking down what this argument will look like today, and what does he tell us? First thing is that faith is different than simply head knowledge. Uh, Sadly, how many people have we heard perhaps in uh, 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 Christian pews over the weeks, months, and years that say, well, I I know about Jesus. I know the biblical account. I know these things, and therefore I've graduated from them, or 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 I don't need uh, the the benefits of God because I already know it. As if it's simply uh, head knowledge. And the very first thing that he points out, that Melanchthon points out, is this is not just an idle knowledge of history. Uh, I think it. Uh, I think it was Dan Preuss who one time said that history without grace won't help us. Uh, that's a wonderful way to think about it, that the one who simply wants to know Jesus just for history's sake, uh, that, what, what benefit is that? Uh, you know, that sort of goes back to uh, the word of the apostle when he says, well, you know, so you say that you know these things or you believe. Well, great, even the demons believe uh, and they shudder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if that's your, ver- your view of faith, then you're already in trouble. Uh, on the other hand, uh, your view of faith can also uh, be problematic if you think that faith only holds on to the gospel uh, and and only gospel preaching. And so the next thing uh, Melanchthon points out is that the law and the preaching of repentance is is part of this, isn't it? Uh, you know, we, we live in a day in which, you know, maybe maybe our hearers have be- started to become comfortable with a term like gospel reductionism, in which everything is reduced to saying, well, Jesus loves you, God loves you. Uh, uh, I think if anyone watches uh, football, they're seeing commercials right now, uh, uh, like, uh, you know, God gets us or something like that, or he gets us, uh, that's being put out by Christians. Mm. Uh, if, if you're going to reduce everything just down to gospel and God's love, and there's no preaching of the law, then the heart is never pricked at the conscience to say, I need Christ to die for me, or I needed him to die for me. And so interestingly, here when we're talking about faith in Christ justifying, a large section of these first three paragraphs is about the preaching of the law, about the preaching of repentance. As Jesus says in Luke 24, uh, you're my witnesses, the preaching of repentance and forgiveness of sins will go forth to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, right? So the, the, the very basic reality of the life of the church is the preaching of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You can't have forgiveness of sins without the preaching of the law, without the preaching of repentance. Or as Jesus says in Matthew 16, he says, on this rock I will build my church, the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. And then what's the very first way that he defines the characteristic of his church? The binding and loosing of sins. And there again is repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So it's really important that the hearer understand the call to repentance is not for one's embarrassment. It is for one's benefit that one might be driven to the gospel that says Christ has achieved your salvation. Christ has secured it on the cross. He has ransomed you. He has redeemed you. 
that's then the object of what faith can cling to and say, I am not condemned before God in heaven. I have Christ. This is how the Holy Spirit works, right? So this is the end of these, these three paragraphs uh, where, where they all of a sudden, you know, he mentions, by the way, the adversaries can't say how the Holy Spirit is given because faith clings mm. to Christ only because the Holy Spirit creates faith. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So then the question is, well, how does the Holy Spirit come to us? And for Rome and others, the answer is always that look what faith is doing. Faith is uh, listening to a sermon. Faith is going up to the communion rail. Look what faith is doing. And so then by the act of what faith does, supposedly, now all of a sudden I'm forgiven. And now I've just turned faith into a work, into my effort. Rather than realizing, no, wait a second, the Holy Spirit is given by Christ, as he, as he says in, in John 16, uh, the Father will send in my name. He will bring to your remembrance all things I have given you. That Holy Spirit who is poured out in baptism, uh, the Holy Spirit who, who makes his home in our heart and, and strengthens our faith through the, uh, the Word and the sacrament, uh, that Holy Spirit is given by Christ uh, that faith may be strengthened. Uh, and, and so faith is that passive recipient of the Holy Spirit then rejoices uh, in, in uh, the good news that Christ has already secured salvation. I'm not by my faith trying to cooperate or work toward it. Perhaps a fundamental error here uh, that, that uh, uh, Rome has is thinking that my whole life, I'm, I'm constantly sort of in flux as to whether or not I'm justified. And then, and then at the end, when I'm on my deathbed, now that's when the hour of justification comes. Rather than the fact that the Holy Spirit is given to us in our baptism, and we live our entire lives in the safety of the ark that is the Holy Christian Church, the safety of the Christian faith that uh, uh, rejoices in Christ Jesus, and therefore all throughout life, uh, even as I wrestle with sins and even as I run in repentance to the forgiveness of sins, I live in the safety uh, that Christ has justified me. And I think that re really captures when we talk about repentance, because I was thinking about this, I wrote this down, I was going to ask you this question, but you answered it already. If repentance accuses and terrifies consciences, then maybe we shouldn't preach it. Well, that's a faith issue. And as we define faith, faith uh, repentance, repentance is contrition and faith. So it's not simply, I'm going to turn now. It's that understanding that in my repentance, that I know that Christ is forgiving, that Christ has done the work for me. So you never get away no matter how much you might try, because we always want to sneak ourselves into this, we never get away from Christ. There's never the, the object of faith is always Christ, even in our repentance. Anything else you want yeah, to highlight? I, I think that word repentance is so important for Lutherans to chew on, for your hearers to chew on and meditate on, because you and I were talking uh, off the air before we started the show. We were talking about the fact that we live in a society that has been so influenced by a very Anabaptist view of things. You know, this word repentance, when people hear that, they think of the sort of the, the sinners in the hands of the angry God. They think of, you know, this, this fire and brimstone preaching of, of pastors slamming their hands on the pulpit, crying out, repent, repent, and, you know, spit flying out of their mouths, things like that. That's not at all uh, what the scriptures, uh, how the scriptures define it, right? Christ, the very first thing Christ says, Matthew 4, verse 17, the very first word in his ministry is repent. But why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, why would you not turn from your own ways and turn from sin 
and come rejoice in the kingdom of heaven. So I think it's really important for uh, for our listeners to really think about this word repent and in a sense, learn to love it, not learn to love our need for it, uh, uh, but but learn to love that this mm. is this is in many ways a very grace filled word that God would even give us this opportunity to repent and and say, repent, not because I'm giving you an opportunity to save yourself, but repent because here is Christ and Christ has already redeemed you. Mm. Oh boy, I feel like an evangelical and saying amen <laughs> right now. So, um, banana Baptist. Anyways, um, not, not trying to make fun of anybody on that one. Anyways, but thank you for those words. I think let's keep moving. We have quite a bit of ground to cover. Just a reminder to our listeners: I don't believe we'll get through all the words of our section today, which is actually from number sixty-one to eighty-five. Uh, we want to be very thorough, but we also want to keep things moving along. So, if we don't get through it all, then we encourage you to read the rest of our section today. But we are in number. 64 on page 90 of the reader's edition of the book of Concord. We speak of the, the kind of faith that is not an idle thought, but that liberates from death and produces a new life in hearts. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. This does not coexist with mortal sin. As long as faith is present, it produces good fruits, as we will explain later. About the conversion of the wicked or about the way of regeneration, what can be said that is simpler and clearer? Let the scholastics from so great a host of writers produce a single commentary upon the sentences that speaks about the way of regeneration. When they speak of the habit of love, they imagine that people merit it through works. They do not teach that it is received through the word. They teach just like the Anabaptists teach at this time. But God cannot be interacted with. God cannot be grasped except through the word. So justification happens through the word, just as Paul says in Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Likewise, he says in 10.17, Faith comes from hearing. Proof can be derived even from this. Faith justifies because if justification happens only through the word, the word is understood only by faith. It follows that faith justifies. There are other and more important reasons. We have said these things so far in order that we might show the way of regeneration and that the nature of faith, what faith is or is not, about which we speak, might be understood. Pastor, how does one um, come to faith? Well, the Roman Catholics argued that faith was formed by love. And this is why Melanchthon makes this point that he does, is that against the Roman Catholic uh, argument, which says, uh, if, you, if you work on loving— uh, then that habit of love, uh, this is, uh, oh, let's see, I lost it somewhere in the paragraph. You read the, you read the phrase, the habit of love. Uh, oh, yes, uh, uh, paragraph 66, uh, when they speak of the habit of love, they imagine that people merit it through works, that, that, that love is really the most important thing, and then from that, faith increases. Faith formed by love is a very common phrase in Roman Catholic teaching, whereas just the opposite is true. Love is formed by faith. Uh, and 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 faith bears good fruit, and good fruit can only come from good trees, which which by necessity means that a good tree needs to be growing before faith can be uh, before uh, 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 love and works can be seen. Uh, and so when when Melanchthon talks about this, he says, as long as faith is present, it produces good fruits, as we will explain later. So later on, we'll get into the relationship of 
of good works and faith and things like that. Uh, but um, uh, it's it's important for him to to lay this groundwork of saying faith does not come from love uh, because love can't come first. Uh, uh, if you're if you're trying to love your neighbor apart from faith, you're really only using your neighbor as a step stool for how it's going to benefit you before God. Uh, but but when you have faith and a clear conscience before God, then you're not loving your neighbor for what you're going to get out of it. You're loving your neighbor for what, for what your neighbor's going to get out of it. That's true Christian love. Uh, and so faith—now, interestingly, he also points out, you know what, the Anabaptists sort of teach the same thing. And again, you and I were talking off air about this, that, that it's amazing how separate people think the Roman Catholics are from the Anabaptists in terms of the teaching. I don't want to talk about people in the pews, uh, but, but about the teaching, the, the Roman Catholic doctrine versus the Anabaptist doctrine. But when you study it, it's basically the same error, which is that we're saved by something about us rather than faith looking to Christ. Uh, and so, uh, as he quotes here, the power of God uh, for salvation for everyone who believes, right? That word which gives us Christ, which points to Christ, and what a wonderful summary when he says, faith justifies because, and he almost sets up a logical argument here, uh, or an equation. If justification happens only through the word, right? Hopefully no Christian would disagree with that, uh, that justification can only happen through the word, the word made flesh, the word of the scripture that points to the word made flesh. But if it's also true, point B, that the word is understood only by faith, you, you, you can't make the argument that the one who just focuses on works knows the, uh, you know, knows the scripture as faith in the, uh, or, or creates his own faith uh, uh, in, the, in the word of Christ. So if those two points are true, then it follows that faith alone justifies, uh, because works cannot know the word of God. Uh, so it's a it's a real great, uh, almost like a mathematical equation to point out what is what should be sort of the obvious uh, that that when we read the scriptures, when we hear the good news of Christ, faith uh, uh, leaps in the heart. The Holy Spirit creates that faith, um, uh, and then good fruit. Uh, flows from that. I want to remind you to our listeners is that as these points that we're making from Scripture are so needed to be clarified, the this article, along with the next article, Love Fulfilling the Law, is quite extensive. And it's very important that we're always digging in. So right now we're in January and we'll be going through AC4 five times. Um, a, a, apology AC4, and then also a Apology AC5 all the way until April. So hold on tight because this connection of faith, making faith justified by faith, and then good works was beautifully put together that when we serve others, we do so out of love, not because of our love, because of Christ's love that's given to us for the sake of our neighbor. That is a key point for us to hold on to over these next few months to remember that when we look at that connection of God's love and Christ and the cross and our love for others and how those are always intricately um, brought together. Pastor, you said that so beautifully. Um, anything else you want to add as you spoke about 
the love from God and our love for others. If it's my love, then it's just going to be selfish. But if it's God's love, it's for the sake of the neighbor. You want to speak about that a little bit? Well, you know, it, it's a big part of the catechism, isn't it? Uh, uh, you know, th- think think of uh, think of you know certainly Ten Commandments teach the old Adam uh, uh, to to repent in face of the law, but it teaches the new Adam to love God's will for our neighbor. The table of duties. Uh, as as it sort of in many ways uh, bookends the catechism with the Ten Commandments is all about love of neighbor, uh, the divine service. You know why are we uh, in the divine service? Uh, why are we being forgiven and why are we being strengthened in faith? Why do these benefits benefit not only us but then pour out not just in the vertical relationship between us and God but also the horizontal relationship? Think of how that post communion prayer says it. Faith in God and fervent love toward one another, so the, the the Christian can always rejoice in the vertical relationship, and yet the new Adam also wants to be able to rejoice in the relationship he has with his fellow Christians and neighbors, and thus, uh, 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 what a great gift God has given us in in Christ and the ability to love one another for each other's sake and not just for my own sake. Well, we're going to continue on on the other side of our break, specifically talking about how does this faith justify? We are studying justification from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Mark Bestel, and we'll be right Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. Put this wisdom of God into practice by listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple, and faithful pastors from around the world help sharpen my faith in Christ every episode. I know you'll be blessed by listening and studying God's Word with us. Listen to Sharper Iron weekdays at 8 a.m. on KFUO and on demand at KFUO.org, the KFUO radio app, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We are studying the scriptural understanding of justification from the Apology of the Augsburg Confession with Pastor Mark Bestel of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois. We are on page 91 of the Reader's Edition of the Book of Concord, Concorded the Lutheran Confessions, and we're going to keep things moving along. We are in number 69, as we have spoken about how does one come to faith and that connection of love and faith and love for the neighbor. But we're going to dig in here on number 69 and continue all the way through 74. Now, we will show that faith justifies and nothing else. Here in the first place, readers must be taught about this point. Just as it is necessary to keep this statement, Christ is mediator, so it is necessary to defend that faith justifies. For how will Christ be mediator if we do not use him as mediator in justification? If we do not hold that we are counted righteous for his sake? To believe is to trust in Christ's merits that for his sake God certainly wishes to be reconciled with us. Here is a similar point. Just as we should defend that the promise of Christ is necessary apart from the law, so also we should defend that faith justifies. For the law cannot be performed unless the Holy Spirit is received first. It is therefore necessary to defend that the promise of Christ is necessary, but that this cannot be received except through faith. Therefore, those who deny that faith justifies teach nothing but the law, both Christ and the gospel being set aside. 
When it is said that faith justifies, some perhaps understand it to mean that faith is the beginning of justification or preparation for justification. Then it is not faith through which we are accepted by God, but the works that follow. So they dream that faith is highly praised because it is the beginning. For great is the importance of the beginning, as they commonly say, the beginning is half of everything. They speak as if one would say that grammar makes the teacher of all arts because it prepares for other arts. In fact, it is one's own art that makes everyone an artist. We do not believe like this about faith, but we hold properly and truly. We are for Christ's sake counted righteous or acceptable to God through faith itself. To be justified means that people are made out of unjust people or born again. It means they are pronounced or counted as just, for Scripture speaks in both ways. So we wish to show this first. Faith alone makes a just person out of an unjust person. In other words, that person receives forgiveness of sins. Pastor, I, I feel like we have just received the whole buffet of all Scripture in these three three sections. So I just wanted to, I wanted to stop there because there's so much grace that we want to keep pointing out here. But he is speaking about how necessary it is to defend that faith justifies, and it's not just the beginning. So can you break that yeah, down? Yeah, I was just going to say, there's so much here. Uh, you could do an entire hour just on these uh, three paragraphs. But uh, start with this, this concept of what does it mean that Christ is mediator if we, quote unquote, will not use him? That's there in uh, paragraph uh, 69. Uh, uh, that that uh, how will Christ be mediator if we do not use him as mediator in justification, if we do not hold that we are counted righteous for his sake? So when you think of mediator, uh, you know, if you just want God to be gracious toward you uh, and you say, you know what, I think I can, I think I can um, convince God to be gracious toward me, even though I'm the one on trial, right? A mediator is sort of like, you know, we might think of him as a, as a defense attorney one who mediates before, for us before the judge. And if, if the person who's on trial says, you know, I've got my own way to do this, I've got my own charm, uh, I, I think I'm going to convince the judge to be merciful to me, what's the one going to do? But he's going to fire his lawyer, and he's going to say, I have no use for you. And in some ways, uh, people can be guilty of doing that, thinking that, that God will love them for their own sake, and so who needs Christ? Uh, but um, but the mediator, the defense attorney, is the one that you are really hoping in, right? So that the client who uh, has no use for his mediator will fire the lawyer, but the client who hopes in his lawyer's efforts has faith in the lawyer or has faith in him. Uh, and, and when that lawyer then wins the case by the lawyer's merits, then faith justif- faith is justified, or you might say faith is vindicated, uh, that, that you are right to hope in the ability of the lawyer or the ability of the mediator to clear you of all charges. And that's how faith justifies. It doesn't justify by, by showing the judge that it didn't need a lawyer, that, that I can do this on my own because of all my charm before God. But faith justifies by the fact that it says, you know what, I've got this lawyer and I know this, I know this mediator is good. And, and I'm gonna, I know this mediator is going to clear me of charges. He's going to get me cleared of charges. And when he does, then faith is vindicated. You are right to hope in him. So that's that, that's that, first, that's that first section. Um, and then it goes on and it says, uh, uh, to believe is to trust in Christ's merits 
that for his sake, God certainly wishes to be reconciled with us. Notice how it's always pointing faith, uh, it's always pointing the, the individual away from faith in self to faith in Christ. And then it continues on, uh, for the law cannot be performed unless the Holy Spirit is received first. Uh, and therefore, those who deny that faith justifies teach nothing but the law, both Christ and the gospel being set aside. Because if they think they can do it by themselves, what are they going to turn to? They're going to turn to their own effort. They're going to turn to their own work. So at the top of 71, when it is said that faith justifies, some perhaps understand it to mean that faith is the beginning of justification or the preparation for justification. In other words, they say, all right, Christ started things off. Christ did his part. Now I have to do my part. Notice again the fundamental error, which I talked about earlier, is the idea that justification is something that is achieved throughout life, and then when I get to my deathbed, I hope that I have achieved justification, rather than justification happening because of Christ from the outset of holy baptism. Here you have received the Holy Spirit, you've received justification, you are a justified child of God, and you may walk freely in that and securely in that all your days because of Christ. Uh, but they say, but the, but some teach, no, 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 that's just the beginning. And then you've got to keep working toward justification on your own uh, uh, on your own behalf. So sort of this idea that that the first step is infused in you, and then you have to go from there, and you have to you have to work for it from that point. So to, to be able to point out, no, no, justification happens from the very beginning and outset of Christian life in holy baptism. You are justified. Now the other extreme to that again, bringing back in good fruits and good works, is that people will say, well, wait a second, if this was there from the beginning, and if faith can just hold on to the fact that Christ has mediated perfectly for me, then why not just say, well, then I might as well go sin. I might as well, who cares about the Christian life? And the answer to that is because even though justification is central to everything, the entirety of the Christian life is not defined just by the idea of saying, I'm justified, and therefore I can sit like a rock and not do anything in daily life, but rather the justified with faith in Christ, rejoice in what Christ has done, rejoice in God's holy will, and therefore go love their neighbor, again, not for my own justifying sake, but for the good of my neighbor. So faith alone justifies, good fruits will follow faith, but this paragraph, or the, the, that top of 71, when when you've got the adversaries who are sort of confused about this idea, uh, you know, what, what is the justification, or, or is that just the beginning of the Christian life, or, does the, or is it the totality of it? Uh, well, it's, it's the totality of justification, and then you live in that justification your whole life, but your Christian life is more than justification. It includes sanctification. It includes good works. It includes bearing fruit. It includes faith in God and love of neighbor. And, and, and that's sort of that answer to, no, it's not just the beginning, but it's also not uh, uh, the, the Christian then sort of becoming uh, a theological term here, antinomian, and saying, I have no use uh, uh, to go out and desire the holy will of God because Christ will just save me even if I want to live in sin. Uh, so a lot there in those paragraphs, um, sort of summarized there in 72 or just above 72, we do not believe like this about faith, but we hold properly and truly. We are, for Christ's sake, counted righteous. Notice it's not infused in us. It is credited to us. The judge says, because you have a good mediator, you're not guilty. And therefore, we can walk in that credited righteousness 
all our days. To be, to be justified, as it says, means that just people are made out of unjust people. We went into that court case assuming we would be found guilty. Our mediator is so good and so perfect and righteous uh, that, that we walk out there declared not guilty. Here's something I was thinking as reading this and hearing you speak is faith is not just the beginning. It's the end, but it's not the end. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost, I'm confusing the confessions. I don't want to get there, but I always think of these small taglines because faith is not just the beginning. It is the end. The end is Christ has done it all, but also that Christian life, as you mentioned, is not the end. I mean, it goes throughout your life, trusting in the promises of Christ as we do our daily vocations by the help of the Holy Spirit, sanctification, and so forth. I don't want to make this even even muddier, but just thinking about the how often people are like, oh, well, you Lutherans just say that that's, well, basically the end. And we're not saying right. it's the end, but it is the end of your salvation. There it that's is. Right. It's done. Um, but it's, it's not the end. How? I mean, any thoughts on how you would... Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, uh, justification and faith is the end of the burdened conscience before God. Uh, that, that it's not just the beginning uh, of trying to appease your conscience before God. Okay, Christ did his part. My conscience is getting clear, but now I've got to do a bunch of good work so that I can really clear my conscience. No, no, no. no. Faith is the end of the burdened conscience. Uh, and, and faith then uh, walks in a very clear conscience before God and neighbor. Uh, and yet, because of that clear conscience before God, faith can then live out daily life rejoicing in the opportunity to love neighbor for neighbor's sake, because my conscience is already clear. All right, write that down, everybody. Just, uh, excuse me, faith is the end of a burdened conscience in Christ. What a what a gift and what a glorious thing that that our Lord has given to us in Christ. Well, Pastor, we could say more, but I think it's time for us to keep moving forward. Yes, um, absolutely. Are we Let's ready? Go. Oh, <laughs> all right, we are on page ninety-one, uh, number seventy-three. The term "alone" offends some people, even though Paul says in Romans three twenty-eight. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. He says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. He says in Romans 3, 24, Justified by his grace as a gift. If the exclusive term alone displeases, let let them remove from Paul also the exclusives freely, not of works, it is a gift, and so on. For these are exclusive. These also are exclusives. It is, however, the notion of merit that we exclude. We do not exclude the word or sacraments as the adversaries falsely charge against us. We have said earlier that faith is conceived from the word. We honor the ministry of the word, preaching office and word in the highest degree. Love and works must also follow faith. Therefore, they are not excluded so that they do not follow faith. But confidence in the merit of love or of works is excluded in justification. We will clearly show this. Pastor, he kind of breaks down just some of the adversaries' objections. Yeah, I think one of their objections was, if I remember the historical context here, Luther had already included in his translation of the New Testament, he had included this word alone. Uh, uh, in in Romans uh, three, there uh, and the adversary said, "Look, you're adding to the scriptures." Uh, and no, he's not adding to the scriptures at all, because as Melanchthon goes on and argues, well, then you have to all, also get rid of all the rest of this stuff. So the very description there is the reality that faith alone justifies. 
but that is to the exclusion of merit or works. Importantly, Melanchthon adds, it is not to the exclusion of word and sacrament. Let's be perfectly honest. Sometimes we have people who start to slide away from church attendance. The pastor goes to them and says, hey, what's going on? Haven't seen you in church. Oh, doesn't matter, pastor. I have faith in Jesus. No, 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 that, that's no. Not, that's not how it works, right? The, 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 the faith is only strengthened. Well, in fact, as it says here, it is conceived from the word and it is strengthened and sustained by the word and the sacrament. So the idea of faith alone justifying, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that you can all of a sudden, again, turn faith into something that belongs to you. So you can walk away, say, I have faith and have no more use for Christ's gifts in word and sacrament. And so Melanchthon interestingly includes that point to, to point out, you can't charge us with saying word and sacrament are not absolutely essential for the Christian life, for faith to be sustained. But what is excluded is any notion of merit, any notion of works. Uh, uh, the, the, the life is going to necessarily include works, right? It says that at the end there, uh, uh, let's see, 74, love and works must also follow faith. That must need not be uh, uh, interpreted in sort of a punitive way, but it necessarily will happen, and yet necessarily not in the sense that I'm not going to put any effort into it. You still have to train it, right? When a good tree bears good fruit, sometimes um, uh, the person caring for the tree still wants to train the branches uh, to grow in a certain way. So we can benefit from the training that teaches, uh, uh, you know, uh, the bearing of good fruit, that teaches good works. So by all means, we need to continue to be taught for the training up of that tree to bear, you know, for its branches not to grow wild. Uh, but it will necessarily follow that good works and good fruit will be born by the life of faith. So what is excluded precisely in this paragraph is any notion that says my faith is meritorious rather than faith clings to Christ's merit and Christ gives us all of the blessings and benefits of his merit through his word and sacrament. So I cannot exclude word and sacraments uh, uh, for, for faith's sustenance. I'm not going to exclude good works in part of the Christian life, but I am going to exclude anything that claims I'm meriting something or I'm doing my part after Christ has done his. It does address also the office of preaching, preaching office and word. And I don't want to get too far into this because we have other parts where we talk about the ministry. But I found that fascinating because it's clear that the that the Roman Catholic Church was basically saying you're saved. You're saying we're only saved by faith. Therefore, you know, you're kind of adding that, you know, the other shoe drop and the way you wanted to drop by saying, therefore, you are against the preachers, the office mm -hmm. of the ministry which I thought was an interesting uh, put in here, which I would say we even have a little bit of that today where we look at the office of the ministry incorrectly when we don't see it connected to the word sacraments and uh, connecting to Christ, obviously. Do you want to share anything about that and the issue then and probably well, today? Sure. So uh, while we would never hold that the people uh, uh, who occupy the office are somehow are our uh, co-redeemers. Uh, the the reality is is that uh, Christ has said that the word will that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, uh, and that therefore the preaching will be efficacious 
uh, for the enlivening of faith, right? That 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 uh, that the smoldering wick uh, will be will be kindled into a flame uh, through the preaching and through the sacraments. So that interestingly, in the meaning to the third commandment, what does Luther say? He said we should fear and God love so that we do not despise preaching and His word. Uh, so it's not just about the idea of saying, well, I have the word as a textbook and I'm going to study it on my own. Well, most likely you're then going to interpret it the way you want it to be interpreted to serve yourself. But when preaching happens, uh, then you can't interpret it the way, uh, or you can't make it say what you want it to say. The preacher is going to preach and you have to hear it for what it says. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and so it's a very important and necessary tool in the Christian who wants to walk away from the preaching and say, well, I've got my Bible. Uh, uh, you know, might as well walk away from all the, the, the gifts of God, or in a sense does, uh, because so much of it is, is uh, grounded in uh, the, the preaching. As Luther said, if you're not going to have a sermon, what's the reason for gathering together? Preach. Preach the word. Well, let's continue on. We're on page 92 for the note. When it brings to the, the title, We Obtain Forgiveness of Sins Through Faith Alone in Christ. The Bible teaches that mankind stands entirely damned before God. He demands that we be righteous and holy in his sight, without exception. Certainly, we are able to perform works that are considered worthy in the eyes of the world. But these are insufficient for God's requirements and cannot atone for our sins. There is nothing within us that merits his grace and mercy. As sinners, how can we stand before a holy, righteous, and just God? We can but only by his grace, God only by his grace. God restores us to a right relationship with himself through Christ Jesus. By grace, God justifies us through faith in his Son. The biblical definition of grace is God's unmerited favor in Christ, his love active in the salvation brought about by Christ. Titus 2. Saving or justifying grace is the undeserved kindness that God gives sinful people because of what Christ has done. Grace stands in stark contrast to the works that human beings do. The Bible clearly teaches that since our salvation is purely by grace, all human works are entirely excluded from justification. This biblical definition of grace is important. If we relied on ourselves for justification before God, one of three things would happen. We could despair of our efforts to earn God's favor. We could become self-righteous hypocrites or we can, become, can completely reject our Savior. In the Roman church, both then and now, grace is more of a quality or power that God infuses into man's natural goodness, allowing him to reach a point where he pleases God. The Catechism of the Catholic Church carefully states that a man is involved in the process of his own justification. Through grace, God begins the process, but it is up to man to complete his justification before God. Man's good works, begun by God's grace, merit for him a right relationship with God. True, it is claimed that these merits are ultimately derived from the operation of the Holy Spirit, but in the end, man contributes to his own justification. This is a dangerous mixture of grace and works. In this system, how can we be sure of a right standing with God? How can we know if we are justified? So this note summarizes how we obtain forgiveness of sins through faith alone in Christ, and especially the word grace. How do you want to Well, start? that first paragraph in the note points out there's a difference between the word good before people and before God. Uh, in Genesis, uh, when, when God looked at his perfect creation, he said it was very good. 
Good doesn't mean, yeah, C plus, B minus, maybe an A minus on good days. Uh, that's how people think of the word good. When God thinks of the word good, he means completely perfect, holy, and righteous. And if that's what the word good means, then to justify yourself according to the standard of the word good is to say, I'm going to be able to be like God. I'm going to be able to make myself perfect, holy, righteous, good. The only way that the adversaries could argue that is the idea that God starts it with infusing some sort of a, a nugget into you that you then use throughout life to earn your justification. Notice how for uh, Rome's teaching, justification is a lifelong process. It is, it, is, it is not something that comes to you immediately in holy baptism and in which you have a clear conscience and, and live safely and securely because of Christ. It is a process, according to Roman. And that, that was even used down at the uh, uh, bottom paragraph there, at the bottom of the left-hand column on page 92. But grace is not a thing. Grace is not something that God gives you. It's not, it's not one of those, you know, when, when you and I were kids, Brady, maybe we played like uh, uh, Pac-Man, uh, and, and you'd get those power pellets, right? And it, and it made you infused with some superhuman strength to, to carry on for a little while. That's sort of, to be honest, the Roman Catholic teaching of the word grace. Uh, or anyone who knows uh, the Mario Brothers, uh, you know, you, you eat a, or you step on a mushroom and all of a sudden you're big, right? And that's sort, of the, that's sort of the idea of infused grace. But grace is not a substance. Uh, it is an attitude. It is, it, is, uh, it is God's compassion towards sinners because of Christ's merit, that the sinner can have a free and clear conscience before God, not because there's something in me that God is looking at, but because he is looking at Christ. And anyone that Christ says, yeah, this, this, one, this one is mine, the Father says, then he's mine too. And so it's really important for us to understand the, those three definitions, the word good, the word grace, and the word justification, not as being a process, but as justification being something immediately given and complete that then you then walk in completedly for justification all your days. Uh, so that justification is certain from the moment you're baptized and you live in that joy your whole life, wrestling in sanctification. So that sanctification and good works, that does seem like a roller coaster often. Uh, uh, but but those, those definitions are important. And notice the title, and then we'll get into this as we read these paragraphs. The forgiveness of sins is synonymous with the word justification. Now, this is why this is an important point. How many church bodies in America ever even mention the term the forgiveness of sins? They talk about progress. They talk about sanctification. They talk about your Christian walk, your Christian life. Nobody outside of confessional Lutheranism ever talks about the forgiveness of sins because you're supposedly infused with the super Christian conduct that is supposed to please God throughout life rather than the forgiveness of sins being given to you and applied to you every Sunday in the Word and the sacrament, that you may walk away with a clear conscience and therefore with faith in God and therefore living a life of fervent love toward one another. Okay, well, let's dig in. We are on page 92, starting on number 75. We think even the adversaries acknowledge that the forgiveness of sins is necessary first in justification. 
we are all under sin. Therefore, we reason as follows. To receive the forgiveness of sins is to be justified according to Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. By faith alone in Christ, not through love, not because of love or works, we receive the forgiveness of sins, although love follows faith. Therefore, by faith alone we are justified. We understand justification as the making of a righteous person out of an unrighteous one, or that a person is regenerated. It will become easy to state the minor premise that we receive forgiveness of sin by faith, not by love, if we know how forgiveness of sins happens. With great indifference, the adversaries dispute whether forgiveness of sins and infusion of grace are the same change. Being useless men, they did not know how to answer the question. (laughs) In the forgiveness of sins, the terrors of sin and of eternal death must be overcome in the heart. And Paul testifies about this in 1 Corinthians 15. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, sin terrifies consciences. This happens through the law, which shows God's wrath against sin. But we gain the victory through Christ. How? Through faith. When we, are, we comfort ourselves by the confidence and the mercy promised for Christ's sake. Therefore, we prove the minor premise. God's wrath cannot be appeased if we set our own works against it. For Christ has been set forth as an atoning sacrifice so that for his sake the Father may be reconciled to us. But Christ is not received as mediator except by faith. Therefore, by faith alone, we receive forgiveness of sins when we comfort our hearts with confidence and the mercy promised for Christ's sake. Likewise, Paul says in Romans 5, verse 2, Through him we have also obtained access and adds by faith. Therefore, we are reconciled to the Father and receive forgiveness of sins when we are comforted with confidence and the mercy promised for Christ's sake. The adversaries regard Christ as mediator and atoning sacrifice for this reason. He has merited the habit of love. They do not encourage us to use him now as mediator. They act as though Christ were certainly in the grave. They imagine that we have access to God through our own works. They think they merit this habit through these and afterward by this love come to God. This is not to bury Christ altogether and to take away the entire teaching of faith. Paul, on the contrary, teaches that we have access to God. That is reconciliation through Christ. To show how this happens, he adds that we have access by faith. By faith, for Christ's sake, we receive forgiveness of sins. We cannot set up our own love and our own works against God's wrath. Pastor, we have about two minutes left in our time. For you, our listeners, we're stopping there. I encourage you to read the rest because actually, hard to believe, it almost get, it actually gets better as it continues in the rest of these words. But here, there's so many great words. Um, one of my favorite, by useless men, they could not know how to answer the question between infusion and the forgiveness of sin. So, Pastor, break us down and, and bring us home in these sure, last Sure, notice how months. often the phrase, the forgiveness of sins, uh, is employed. Uh, and 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 what a oh, what a wonderful reality for us as Lutherans to consider that every Sunday we are being, uh, in a sense, wrapped anew uh, in in uh, the the justify the, the work of Christ that has justified us. And so the forgiveness of sins is not only synonymous with that; it's sort of justification in real time, not as if. And we don't want the hearer to think that we are in this tenuous tightrope walking iffiness. And maybe on Saturday night I'm not justified, and maybe on Monday morning I am justified, and back and forth and back and forth we go. But just the reality that God is 
ever graciously applying to us over and over again the forgiveness of sins that keeps us in and gives us a clear conscience regarding our justification in Christ. So paragraphs 80 and following, all of this that you read, is showing how this forgiveness of sins happen and why that needs to predominate in the divine service. The divine service should always be focused on the forgiveness of sins and how sad it is that so much preaching out there has nothing to do with the forgiveness of sins, nothing to do with, as it says in paragraph 79, terrors of sin and of eternal death, right? The preaching of the law is a necessary part of this. Sometimes we nod our heads in it and we say, yeah, 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 we'll put up with the preaching of the law because we're supposed to. That's what good Christians do. We listen to law and then we love the gospel. No, no, no. The law prepares us and it strikes our hearts appropriately because we are not good before God. But in Christ, we are justified. In Christ, we have the forgiveness of sins. And therefore, in Christ, we have a free conscience before God and therefore freedom to love our neighbor. Pastor Mark Bestel of Calvary Lutheran Church in Elgin, Illinois, clearly confessing the truth of the scriptures on justification. Pastor Bestel, thank My you. My pleasure, for being our Brady. Guest. I'm your host, Brady Finneran. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.